You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Praying with a Refreshed Heart and Mind, which is from our Renew, Replenish, and Refresh series. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Well, we've been in this series now for a while, and uh, before I start, there's a, a, a notation in your program, and uh, it's about Creekside Council, and I want you to uh, read it, pray toward it. Um, this is one of the ways we, the, the way our, quote, church government is set up, uh, which is important, but boring to everybody. Um, uh, we, we try and get everybody involved, but ultimately it's, quote, the legal members of Creekside uh, that have voice and vote. And, uh, but we do want uh, to, to engage every person that calls Creekside their home. And the way that we do that is we are announcing uh, it's taken about a three or four month period, which it usually does. Uh, there's a number, there's a number of people at Creekside that qualify and are wonderful people, but we begin to pray and discuss and talk and work through who we're going to invite to be a part. Uh, and it's a team effort of the uh, Creekside church council, which is for some of you would be a board of elders or a board of directors or whatever. We call them a council because it comes out of Acts chapter 15. And uh, so that information sheet gives you the information that you'll need to know. We will be voting, the legal membership will be voting to confirm them at our annual business meeting, which will take place after service on uh, Sunday, October 27th. But here's what we want you to do in the meantime, is to be aware and to kind of uh, uh, know these people. And uh, this has never happened before, but we do make it open and available. Uh, if, there's some, if there's some reason why you believe that one of these candidates should not be a part of the Creekside Church Council, please write, put it in writing, and uh, sign your name, and uh, we will review it. It can't be because of, uh, I don't like them. Um, that's never happened, but I mean, it's got to be some kind of tangible biblical reason. But we want to include everybody, because while I know these people uh, fairly well over the years, um, I could tell you stories of how you don't know everybody. And you don't know everybody really well. And you don't always know what goes on in their life and all of that. But uh, in all the years we've done it this way, we've never had a problem with it. But this involves everybody. So if you would be praying toward that. Uh, We've been in a series, we're going to conclude it today, I wanted to conclude it last week, but I just kind of sensed that it was important that we spend some time in worship and and adoration, the first point. Um, A statement I often hear when talking to people, I heard it twice this week in different forms. Uh, One of the things that we believe is so important for anybody that that follows Jesus is, uh, there's different words for it, a devotional time a quiet time. And it's simply a time where you probably take a a, a few minutes to read the word and you pray. Uh, Some of us like to journal our thoughts and our learnings and our gleanings. And it's an important process if you really want to grow. Um, this, This last talk in our replenish and renew and refurbish and rebuild series really is talking about how do we slow down, kind of kick back and slow down the R, shift down the RPMs of our life. And one of the most important things, I believe, is this quiet time, this devotional time. I do mine in the morning. I'm an early riser. I like to get it in and kind of kick my day off with that. Some of you may say, you know what? It's too crazy in the morning. I got to do it lunchtime. Or others of you might say, I got to do it in the evening. That's my best time. Whatever it is, it's important to have it. Now, when it comes to prayer, and that's really what this talk is about, is, is to make sure you have an ongoing prayer and communication life with God. These are the things that people say, and again, it just happened these last two weeks. They say things like, well, you know, how long should it be? I mean, how long do I need to pray for? I mean, how much is enough prayer? And I go, well, I don't know what's really enough. Jesus said to his disciples toward the end of his life, he says, could you not pray with me for one hour? So now a lot of people say, oh, we need to spend an hour with Jesus. Well, I don't know that that's true. He asked a question to these guys. But some of them say, well, I don't have an hour to pray. Okay, 
What time do you have? And what is enough? And then if they don't ask how much time do I need to uh, spend in prayer, it's like, well, I don't know what to pray for. Or I start praying and my mind races and I don't have focus and I lose track and two minutes into it, I can't think of anything else to pray for, so I pray for world peace. You know, I mean, let's just get the biggie out there. And so the, 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 the purpose of this talk, again, is just to slow us down. It's to begin to think and to begin to consider our communication with God because Jesus lived that way. It isn't that we need balance, it's that we need to develop a rhythm in our life as we get hit and as things happen and we all live in different seasons of our life and different seasons of busyness. But the one thing you'll see threaded throughout the Gospels concerning Jesus is that he spent time with his father. He would get away, it says, for a solitary time to be alone with him. Quote, his devotional or quiet time with his father. And Jesus says in John 5 and in John chapter 12, he says, what I heard the father saying, that's what I'd say. What I saw the father doing, that's the things that I would do. And so this is so important that if we want to become more like Jesus, if we want to grow in our discipleship, it's important to have that time. And this important rhythm is just seen throughout the scriptures. I mean, from, from Adam and Eve, where it says that literally they walked with God in the cool of the evening, and there was this communication with God, which would probably have been Jesus, what they call a Christophany, where he comes in the flesh, and he's the one that they begin to speak with and to talk with. Prophet Isaiah said, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that is dependent on you for it is trusting in you. We're going to come back to this passage in a few minutes, but if you look at Philippians chapter 4, in the New Testament, Paul is in prison and he's making these incredible declarations He's confined for doing good. He's confined for speaking about Jesus. And this is his response beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. You know what? I'm just going to say it again. Rejoice. I love this phrase. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. Now he's saying, I don't want you to worry about anything, but in everything, whatever you're facing, hey, I'm in jail and I'm praying about everything. He says, don't worry about anything, prayer and everything. And with petition, we're going to come back to that, the word supplication. And with petition and supplication, with asking and with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And you'll see why this verse becomes important in this acrostic that we're looking at. And he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, your ability to comprehend it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's kind of what we're talking about throughout this series is that we're slowing down or we're beginning to allow Jesus to not only, but to speak to our spirit, to heal our souls and to make sure that we're physically taking care of ourselves. Because all of those things work together. A lot of times our spiritual issues aren't just spiritual, but they can be tied to our physical things that are in our lives going on. And we talked about that from 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 and 19. Well, so Paul says, now for whatever, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any moral excellence and if there is any praise, notice this phrase. Any of those things, I want you to dwell on these things and do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in my life. And the peace of God will be with you. I want to look because people ask and a lot of times people don't know and it's probable that there's people here that you say, well, how do I really have a quiet time? How do I have a a prayer time? What do I do when it comes to praying? 
because I just run out of things. I can't stay focused. And so I want to give you a few things. We talked about it last week, and then we just spent some time really in worship. Adoration has to do with worship. We looked at Revelation chapter 1 and just noted that when, when, when the apostle John came in the presence of the risen God who came to reveal himself to him, to show him the power and the dynamic and who the risen Christ is, he literally fell down. Uh, But Jesus, in his graciousness, in a sense, come and just stood by him and said, listen, don't be afraid, because I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. I'm the first and the last. So we see this this incredible happening with John in Revelation. Then we see in Isaiah chapter 6, another prophet. I could give you a bunch of these, but I'm just giving you a few to show you that it's really threaded throughout the scriptures. We see Isaiah, he comes into the presence of God, and he says, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What do I need to do? And from that, he makes some decisions to follow what God says. God cleans up his life in his mouth. And then he says, I want you to go to the nations and I want you to preach and to change the course and the direction of Isaiah's life as he comes in to the presence of God. And then you'll see in your notes there, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but there's five or six points, key points where people were confronted and they came into Jesus's life. And what do they do? It says literally they fell, they came at his feet. They bowed down, they worshiped him. Why? Because they begin to understand he was the living God. Peter, it happened to Peter, and he comes before Jesus, and Jesus begins to incisively and prophetically speak into his life, and he realizes truly you're the son of God, and it begins to change the course of his, of his life. He goes from, Jesus says, you're not gonna be a fisher of men anymore. Excuse me, you're not gonna be a fisher of fishermen, you're gonna be a fisher of men changes the direction and the course of his life. There's other people that came in to Jesus and they bow before him, they come before him in his presence and they're healed. Others were delivered from demonic and addictive tendencies and and things that wanted to control their life. There was others that they begin to do things when they were worshiping Jesus in private. They come and, and, and they begin to do it in public. And Jesus begins to commend them for that because what we do in private is ultimately going to affect what takes place in our public life. Now, why do I start with adoration? Because I think that in the morning when I come, I just want to focus on Jesus for a few minutes. Sometimes I'll play music, sometimes I won't. I've got my little desk at home. I'm not saying you've got to do all these things. I'm just trying to give you some help, some, some insights, and some things to hang your kind of your prayer hat on so you understand some possibilities and ways that can really bring you into God's presence. We're in God's presence now, aren't we? He's here. But there's times where you just want to say, Lord, I, I, it's you and me here and now. I want to hear your voice. I want to seek your face. I want to experience who you can be in my life. So this adoration or worship piece becomes so, the reason I'm calling it adoration is because it, we, there's an acrostic here, A-C-T-S, and this is really how I first learned to pray. Because see, when the disciples went to Jesus, you know what they said to him? They said, you know, we don't, they didn't say teach us to preach. They didn't say teach us how to lay hands on people. They said, would you just teach us how to pray? So I'm not talking to you today about time. Whether it's you can do it in five minutes or you do it in an hour and a half. That's between you and God. Here's my challenge, loved ones, because one of the places that we're going in our church is to really grow and to develop deeper roots in our discipleship purposes, and there's some reasons for that. But adoration becomes the starting place. It helps to establish the the identity of the Holy One, the majesty of God, the creative power of Jesus and what he can do, not only in the past, but what he can do in your life today to now. As you begin to worship him and you say, well, it's kind of weird on my own. Yeah, well, that's where you get used to it. That's where the real worship happens. Because see, we can come in a place like this and we can have all this crowd dynamic. And that's wonderful. And you begin to think you're in the presence of God because of what you're feeling. But the presence of God is because of who you're seeing and you're focusing on. And this one that begins to speak and engage you. So you begin to, this, this process establishes the identity of the Holy One, Jesus, in your life. 
and you begin to understand that he is powerful and he has the power to intervene in any situation that he cares about every one of you. When you came in this morning, it wasn't just about the mass community and the crowd gathering. It's ultimately about every one of us, about every one of you. And his power is always available to us. And when you begin to see Jesus for who he is, when you begin to worship him for who he is, it's going to build your faith. And as you go through this process, this is what I start with. Sometimes I say, I'll listen to a, a worship song. There's when I shared it with you last week. There's one that has just been speaking to me at so many levels. And after I do this adoration piece, I'll go to my journal and sometimes I'll just write, God, I just, uh, I am so thankful that you are the majestic one that uh, fills my life with compassion. And I write something down as a reminder of what God was revealing or speaking to me on that day. And then the next step is you want to move to confession. You want to move to confession. 1 John 1, 9 says that, it says that, that uh, we're, we're, let me read it to you because I want to read the, the verse, ch- uh, chapter 8 as well. 1 John chapter 8 and 9. This is a good one for everybody to, to memorize and to learn. But it says verse 8. Now let's start at verse 7. And let's go to Genesis 1. No, well, uh, verse 7. He says, but if we walk, now this is John. This is the one that received the revelation. This is the one that says that Jesus loved, that, that he was closest to. So John is now focusing on Jesus, and he says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another because the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But here's the problem that a lot have. If we say we have no sin, man, we're self-deceived and the truth is not in us. So here's the antidote. Here's the Rx. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We've all heard the saying, confession is good for the soul, haven't we? But how many of us do it, especially as we begin to move further along in our Christian life? Do you ever just kind of blow by this? Oh, I'll just kind of give it a blanket confession. Ah, God will cover it. Or worse, sometimes we're engaging in things and we just kind of don't even confess at all or we give it the blanket oh God forgive me I'm a sinner forgive me that's so easy to do either one of those and really I believe becomes a colossal spiritual cop-out because it's so painless now hear me I'm not one of these people that believes in self-flagellation and all of that and you know doing all of these things to earn your way to God because God has already earned the way to him through his son Jesus Christ but here's the deal there seems to be this important thing of confession we see it in Psalm 32 when David sinned we see it in Psalm 51 when he also sinned he was always he was like a chronic confessor. God, forgive me for these shortcomings and these sins. You know what confession means? It just simply means that you agree with what God says about what you're doing. So is it, is it wrong? Is it sin? And sin is just simply missing the mark of what God has for us, his best. It's about those wrong attitudes we have, those things in our life that maybe we're not in control of. There's an old saying that says, if no pain, no gain. I believe that it's good to speak it out or to write it out. That's usually what I'll do. I'll just kind of write it out. But why do I say that? Because you know what? It's amazing how we can justify and excuse and not really deal with those things. You know, it's one thing to just kind of think, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that about that person and move on. You ever done that? Ah, I shouldn't have said that. It's another thing when you say, God, would you forgive me for gossiping? Would you forgive me for slandering? Or write that in your journal. Lord, yeah, yesterday I just, man, I slandered. 
this person. It's amazing how much different that looks. It's amazing how different that sounds than when we just say, ah, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I don't know about you, when I begin to hear those words about myself, it makes me go, wow, whoa. Because sometimes we forget God's pretty serious about sin. And it's easy to to generalize and justify and lessen the severity. And hear me, you know me, I'm not one of these people that believes you do a roto-rooter job every day on your life. But there's a sense of when you're coming and you're adoring and you're worshiping the one that gave his life for you to forgive you that you embrace that and you engage in it and make it part of your prayer time. Because confession, as we agree with what God says about this in our life, it really ultimately leads to this incredible gift and grace, the freedom of forgiveness. Because so many people, They try and run their race in disobedience or they try and run their race with all of these things of sinfulness entangling around their ankles and then they wonder why they don't have a lot of joy and they don't have a lot of freedom. And we really don't see how much it hinders our soul and our walk with Jesus until we get really honest with him in prayer. Unresolved guilt can be a really demoralizing thing. It can lead to depression. It can lead to areas of self-destruction. I was just talking to a person this last week and uh, literally broken and sobbing over what had gone on in their past. And in trying to talk to this person, it was hard because I said, have you, have you confessed all this to, to God? And I said, well, kind of. I mean, have you really taken care of it? And have you gone to the people that you need to? Well, no, not really. And this person is in some very, uh, almost a free fall of destructive living. And I'm convinced that the reason it is, is because they haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And people who really do, they begin to beat themselves. They begin to, to do things against themselves, almost to punish themselves. And here's the, here's the truth, loved ones. We don't have to punish ourselves for our shortfalls, our sinfulness, our misgivings, our false steps. Because Jesus took the punishment for us and we don't need to punish ourselves. We simply need to agree with those things in our life that are out of alignment with him and his wills and his ways. And just say, God, I just come this morning. I just want to agree with you that what I did yesterday, what I said yesterday, what I've been doing is not in alignment with who you are and what you want. And I come here to acknowledge it, to agree with you that it's wrong and I want to repent from it. I want to turn from it. I want to go another direction. And when you begin to do that, loved ones, it gives us this incredible freedom and forgiveness to walk in the power and the life of Jesus. And we don't no longer, it doesn't become our motivation. It motivates us not to want to disobey, but it motivates us to want to walk with the one who loves us and has given us so much grace. Don't forget that sin entangles, sin binds and it blinds us. And hear me, I'm not saying, okay, every morning, okay, God, here I go. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. No, Lord, what what is it? What is it today that I just, you want to speak to me about? Or maybe you know, and you just bring it, and you confess it. You agree with God about it, because we forget sin is serious business. But God says, come to me, I am the one that can take care of it. And and here's the truth, loved ones. It's been taken care of 2,000 years ago on the cross, but we still live with the consequences of it until we acknowledge it and say, Lord, here it is. Now, that's the hard one in this process, but it's also the good one that begins to free us. Because when you've got stuff following you and haunting you, it's pretty tough to live freely and joyfully. So after you've adored and you've worshiped the risen Christ and then you've gone and you've taken care of anything in this inward self, then you get to move toward thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, give thanks in all circumstances. Now this is something that is pretty easy to forget or to overlook. A lot of, I don't know if you know, there's a lot of people that 
Now, they can tell you everything that's wrong, but they're not thankful for what is right. Did you ever kind of live like that, where you just, you know, oh, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like that. Uh, but you never really say, thank you, this is what's good. This is what's right. Now, this idea of give thanks in the midst of all circumstances or in all circumstances, it's not giving thanks in all, excuse me, it's giving thanks in all, but not for all things. Because I've seen some Christian people that they, they get this and they go, wow, man, whoa, thank God I got a flat tire this morning. Are you kidding me? And then they get really spiritual. They go, whoa, thank God. Probably didn't get in a wreck. I mean, I, I got the flat tire so I wouldn't get in a wreck. And I go, oh, come on. You just got a flat tire. Now, maybe. Could happen. I'm not going to say it couldn't. But let's keep it real. I'm not going to thank God for a flat tire probably. I'm just going to get out and fix it. Well, I probably wouldn't. I'll call somebody. And um, <laughs> I don't want to hurt the car, you know. Uh, but, but you see what I'm saying? I don't give thanks for those things. Here's what I'm learning to do. When these things come against me, when there are serious and significant attacks on my life, I don't go, yippee. Here's what I do. I say, Lord, you allowed that. You brought it. What is it now that you're going to teach me? And that's what I'm going to be thankful for. Because I don't think we want to project this Christian masochism that basically makes people think that, wow, just lost my house. That's cool. No, we say, Lord, what does this mean for me? What are you going to teach me through this? And see, that's where we begin to give thanks because we know God as at work in the positive and the negative. See, I, I think a lot of us, a lot of people, they believe that having feelings of gratitude toward Jesus is the same as expressing them. Having feelings of gratitude towards somebody is the same as expressing it. Oh, honey, I love you and I appreciate everything you do. That's what you think and that's what you feel, but if you don't express it, it's not the same, is it? There's a story in Luke chapter 17 where these guys, these 10 lepers, these 10 social outcasts, Jesus goes out onto the skirts of the city where nobody else would go because of these people. And they come running up to him because they've heard that Jesus is running around and he's healing and he's touching and he's blessing people and he's speaking the good news to them. And they run up to him and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Would you heal us? Jesus looks at him and he speaks health over them and he says, this is what I want you to go do because this was the protocol of that day for a leper uh, to, to verify and validate that they were healed. They had to go to the temple and go to a priest who would give them a clean bill of health. And so these guys are like, okay, lickety split. They take off and it says in Luke 17 that on the way they are healed. And all of a sudden they're, 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 they're experiencing this healing and they're running and they're getting as fast as they can in case something changes maybe, I don't know. But they get there because they want to get this clean bill of health. They want to get back into society. They want to go home. They want to be with their spouse. They want to be with their family. And as they're running, all of a sudden, one guy re realizes I'm being healed. And what does he do? He goes full flaps. He does a U-turn. He goes back to Jesus, falls before him. And he says, Jesus, thank you. What does Jesus do? He, he, he doesn't walk over there and go, good job, man. You remembered. He does that in a minute. His first thought was this. Weren't there nine others? Isn't that interesting? Because that's kind of part of the adoration. That's kind of part of the worship. That we are so, well, we're geared to it in our world to worship and to adore things. But sometimes we forget to say thank you. And this man comes back and says thank you. And guess what? Jesus noticed it. It's the first thing that he said. Now, were these other guys thankful? I'm sure they were thankful. I mean, if you had a debilitating disease that numbed and rotted away your limbs and made you a social outcast, and you couldn't be around anybody except other fellow diseased people, 
you'd probably have deep feelings of appreciation and thankfulness too. But those nine didn't take the time to come back and say, thank you. And for whatever reason, Jesus seems to make it a pretty big deal and says, where are you? What happened to those guys? I mean, those of us who are parents, don't we love it when our kids say thank you? I mean, just kind of out of the blue. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, probably. I remember when, uh, when, when, uh, when our kids started going to school. Uh, you know, we had Mother's Day, we had Father's Day. Well, Trina and I come up with this thing. We called it J&J Kids Day. Our son's names were Joel and Jamie. So we came up with J&J Kids Day. And it was kind of a, a reward for getting through school and doing their best. And so after uh, they get out of school, we'd take a weekend, first or second after school, and we would go and do something. Well, we decided to do an overnighter for this one. And so I said, well, let's, we're going to go over. And we stayed at a hotel over by the Oakland Coliseum. This is when we lived in Manteca. And we stayed over there overnight, did some things and run around and let them eat whatever they wanted to eat. Then we went to the baseball game and we let them eat and do whatever they wanted to there, basically, you know, get all the big fingers and, you know, all those things that you want to do and had a great time. So we're coming home and they're sleeping in the back seat. Got to wake them up and get them up. And one of my sons is walking in they were both groggy and one of them just comes up and he just kind of walks next to me and says dad this was the greatest day ever thank you and I remember that because I thought well first of all they're kind of young and I noticed well one did one did it and one didn't and it just moved me I said wow he seems to be getting something out of this And see, here's the thing, loved ones. See, it's one thing, there's a big difference between feeling feeling grateful and another of expressing thanksgiving. See, in my prayer time, and a lot of my prayers, I was thinking, I was going back and reading some in my journal, and even on Sunday or wherever I pray, it's not unusual for me to start with, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Not because I'm so good. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying I, I, I remember where I've come from. And I, and I see all of these things that God has done in my life. And I can just sit down. I can just say, thank you, Lord. So I'm thankful with my words to him. I try and be as thankful with my life to him as I can. I'm thankful with the resources that he's provided for me. Lord, it's just... You bless me, so here, here's, here's back. Are you thankful? Do you take the time to express it? This could take half your prayer time in the morning if you just start saying, Lord, thank you. So you move from adoration and worship to confession and then to just thank you, Lord. And then the, the last one, or the second to the last one is Supplication. Did you know prayer is an antidote to worry? That's what Paul says there in Philippians chapter 4. Prayer is an antidote to worry, to confusion. But isn't worrying so much easier? How many find that true? Go ahead, raise your hands. This is some of us. Okay, wow. Yeah, good. I'm glad some of us. The rest of you just pray. That's good. I love it. But for me, it's easier to start praying. I mean, excuse me, start worrying and forget about praying because I figure if I just think about it for the next two days, I'll fix it. And here's what God's bringing me back to. You know what? I want you to quit worrying because if you're worrying, you're not going to be praying. So I begin to reestablish this sense of prayer and I move into supplication, or some of your translations will say petitions. It's simply where you begin to ask things for God. If you look in Philippians there, Paul says, dwell on these things. And the word is legismo. It's the Greek word that's it's a mathematical, it's a bookkeeping term. And as he lists out all of these things that we're supposed to do, it simply means to take time and tally it up. Kind of on the prayer ledger. Tally up the goodness of God. Keep score of all the good things that he's doing and he's bringing in your life. Well, you know, it's not a lot of good things right now. It's more bad things. Well, still focus on the good because you know what you usually find out? Is if you write them down or you begin to articulate them, speak them out, but especially if you write them down, you're going to find out that there's a lot more good things going on than there are negative or bad. And it's so easy to focus 
on things like trouble and to dwell on those instead of God's goodness. But when you write it out, you'll begin to see where the good things that God's doing will trump the bad. See, nothing's too big for God when you worship him and see who he is. And then in our lives also, there's nothing too small for him to be interested in. I mean, haven't you ever wondered if, if my requests really are legit, if he really cares? Here's what I know. If they're a concern to you, they're a concern to him. Now, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said, listen, he's, he's concerned about the sparrow that means nothing in terms of worldly value. He's concerned about them if they fall. He's concerned about the hairs on your head. He's concerned for some of you about the lack of hair on your head. He's concerned. So he says, make your requests known to God. Some of you, maybe you're like me where you're, you're praying or you're just tired or you're just beat or you're just, you've prayed everything you know how to pray and you don't know what to pray anymore. Read Romans 8. Because it talks about this Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And when you're, at the, when you're on your knees, when you're in your bed, wherever you pray, and you're just sitting there and you say, God, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to pray anymore. Here's this powerful principle from Romans 8 that says you've got a Holy Spirit that can begin to take the very groanings of your life and make them a prayer to God. That he begins to intercede for you and what you need. I love that. I love that. As you're praying, it's important that you're not trying to direct God, but as you've worshiped, as you've confessed, as you're petitioning him, here's the key that you allow your prayers, you speak him to God, but you allow him to direct you through your prayers. See, sometimes we, we, we want to pray for things that we want or we think we need. And, and there's nothing wrong with that generally. But a lot of people say, oh, I want this job. I got to have this job. God, give me this job. I'll know you really love me if you give me this job. And you know what? Maybe God knows some other things that you might not know. Like maybe that job just won't be a good fit for you. Or maybe it's not where you need to go. But he's got something better for you. And so as you come to this time, make your request known, but kind of have a kind of a James type of prayer where you say, if it's your will, Lord, I'd love to have this job. But here's the part that I always add. It comes out of Revelation chapter three. Lord, you open the door that nobody can open. But I'm also going to trust you to close the door that nobody can close. And I'm not going to try and kick it in. See, then we begin to allow God to direct our prayers and even more so to direct our lives. Here's the four categories that I pray for. I don't pray for these every day. I just pray for, I can do one or two of them or it depends on, the, on, on what's happening in my life and around me. But here's the, here's the four key areas. Number one, ministry. I pray for church and people. Where, where, where our people are going who they're connecting with, who they're coming into contact with. I pray for uh, the ministry of our church. I pray for our staff and our council, our city. I pray for our non-Christian people that we can connect with, people that God has given me relationship with. There's a few people in our city, uh, government, that I specifically pray for because of our relationship. I love hearing from you on your prayer notes. Some of you are saying, you know what? I'm praying for Aunt Betsy. I'm praying for my friend Joe. I'm praying for. And you're letting us know who we can be praying for with you as you're trying to reach them and just share the life and the love of Jesus with them. I pray for my family, Trina. My two sons, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids. I pray my grandkids, here's the specific prayer I have for them right now, that they will come to know Jesus at the earliest age possible. I pray for their college, their future. I pray for their calling on life. 
whether it's ministry or not, I pray that God will do things in and through their life that will make a difference. And personally, I pray for my character. I pray, God, you'd build it, that you would make me more aware of those blind spots, that I'd grow as a person, that I'd grow in my pursuit of Jesus, that he would give me divine appointments and opportunities with people. I said, that's four sections. Sometimes I'll just pray one a day for, I mean, one of those a day, because it's a lot of time to pray. But why am I telling you this? Because some of you would say, I don't know how to pray. I mean, I get, you know, two minutes and I'm done. Not that there's anything wrong with two minutes. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus said, would you pray for me one for an hour? And he only said that one time. But if you read a lot of the Bibles in the prayer, if you read a lot of the prayers in the Bible, you'll see some of them are pretty short. So it isn't about time. It's about what do you need to accomplish to connect with the living Christ. And I close this series with this because ultimately that's what we got to come back to. If you want to slow down, it's you really got to yield your life and your thinking to Jesus. Here's what I believe wholeheartedly. The United States is coming to a place where we're going to begin to see consumer and cultural Christianity begin to kind of burn out. People aren't going to come to church anymore just because it's good music. People aren't going to come to church anymore just because it's a good speaker. You know why people are going to begin to come to church? Because I believe there's going to be, it's already started. It's obvious. There's there's a line of demarcation. How many of us don't say anything about Jesus because of the situations that we find ourselves in or the places that we're in? Because we know if we do, it's going to be like a, you know, it's it's going to bring attack. And see, those who have a cultural or a, or a consumer mindset of Christianity, they're not going to be able to stand. Well, what do you mean by a consumer? A consumer Christian is just someone who kind of, they kind of come to church and they get what they want. Oh, is it a good sermon today? Okay, I'll come back. If not, huh, I'm out of here. Oh, was the music good? Did I like the set? Was it great worship? Huh. Uh, I didn't like it. It's got to be better out there somewhere. Oh, man, they're challenging me to serve. They're asking me to give. I think I want to go someplace else that doesn't talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, That's a consumer. What's a cultural? A cultural Christian just fits in. It doesn't really matter what Jesus says. It really matters what the people, it's kind of what the word on the street is. What's the, what's the conventional wisdom? And that's what I'm going to, you know, that's why I'm going to speak to and agree with. But there's going to come a time, loved ones, and, and we're moving ever closer to it, where, you know what, the, the, the key that's going to, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit at points in the vision series, where there's this true discipleship that's rooted in the spiritual disciplines and being in community. That's kind of what I'm talking about today. Is with everything going on around us, you you got to get rooted. The last thing is listening. I take a little bit at the end of my time to just go say, "Okay, Lord, speak to me." I just want to hear your voice, not just because of what I'm reading or what I'm writing in the Word. But I, I just want to see if there's something you want to speak to me. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And that happens only in solitude and stillness of soul. And I'm convinced, loved ones, that when we get into these places, it will not only nourish your soul, but it will begin to nourish authentic Christianity and being an authentic Christ follower for Jesus. Because this is what I know. God spoke to everybody, many people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. As I said earlier, it started with Adam and Eve walking in the garden. And then he spoke to his prophets. And then he spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, followed by the prophets. And then he begins to speak to Jesus. And then he speaks to us through Jesus and his word. 
And then he says, I'm going to give you a Holy Spirit that can counsel you, that can convict you, and that can lead you into truth and righteousness. And whatever has been put in, the Holy Spirit will call out. <laughs> so I really believe that God speaks to me. Now hear me, before you want to commit me or something. It's, it's not audible. But after I've worshipped and I've you know, adored Jesus for who he is, and then I've confessed, and there's this sense of kind of purifying and cleansing again. And I've made my request known because I know he's a prayer-answering God. Then I just begin to listen. Two or three minutes. And I get it through a sense. It's not audible, but it's just an impression. It's a thought. It's a sense. Maybe it's a Bible verse that God brings back to me that I've been reading that morning. And he'll begin to speak to me. And it's almost always in two things, because this is how we see Jesus speaking to the church in Revelation 2 and 3. When Jesus, if you read that, he always comes and he says to this church, man, you're the greatest. You're doing this well. I'm proud of you. You're my church and I love you. And you, we are the church, not this building, but you, we. And he speaks something to me. You know, TR, you're doing all right. You're being more patient. You're not pushing. You're not driving. You're not doing this. I'm so proud of you that you're my son. Ah, but then he'll kind of sneak up on me through the Holy Spirit and say, but you know something? I want you to look at this. And almost always, whenever he does that, it's almost always something that I got to do. It was early last week when I was going through this process. And I was just saying, Lord, just help me. I want to make sure I got a pretty clean slate that the ledger that I'm talking about all your goodness, that you see the same thing in me. And he reminded me of a, of a recent happening. It was about three months ago, maybe four months ago. Somebody came to me and said, hey, we want to do this for you. And I said, okay, great. Get me the information and I'll deal with it. So this person graciously, it was a very nice thing and significant thing to do, brought me the, uh, the information and I was supposed to take it to the, another level of leadership. Here's the deal. I put it on a stack of things on my desk and I forgot. I, I just, I mean... I wish I could give you an excuse. Oh, I was too busy. Oh, I was praying too much. You know, but I just, I just totally forgot. And then last month I remembered it and I got it to the people and I happened to see this person and I said, I'm really sorry. Um, but it's taken me a while to get it to him and I got it to him. So we we'll, should know in the next few weeks. Uh, sorry, offers off the table. I could tell they were probably disappointed. So, I didn't really think much about it. I just said, okay, you know, our, sorry. But then as I was praying one morning, the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, that person went to the trouble to give you something or to give the church something, and you dropped the ball, so I want you to write them and tell them that you're sorry, take responsibility for it, no excuses, no rationalizations, and just take care of it. So that's what I did. Now, I, I don't tell you that. I know it makes me sound like, ooh, Mr. Spiritual. I tell you that because in my prayer time, that's usually where things come out. That's where the dross, the junk of my life comes to the surface. Because I'm finally still enough to not just blow by the things in my life that I think are unimportant. But it gives me time to say, Lord, what do you think is important? And I get the affirmations, but I also get the convictions. Can I tell you just something? Whenever you hear Jesus, it's going to sound like Jesus. Or it's going to sound like the Bible, but in your own words. So I want to encourage you. Take time. You may, in what, however, you know, I do five, four to five mornings a week. 
But I want to challenge you. Maybe you start with three, but have a prayer time. It might be five or 10 minutes. It might be an hour. I don't know. But maybe one day you just focus on adoration. Maybe another day you focus on confession. If you've got time, go through the whole list. Take time to be still and know that he is God. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you, if you would just take a moment here, you know, let's kind of, let's do a little practice. I want you to bow your heads with me. Well, you don't have to. You, can, you don't have to close your eyes. Nothing in the Bible that says you got to do that. A lot of people do. I just want you to think practically and personally. Maybe as we're sitting here, that the Lord would have said something, spoke something, impressed upon you something about adoration. And you're thinking, this is what I want to adore God for, worship him for. And just think about that and tell him. Maybe some of us have thought, maybe God has convicted you and the Holy Spirit has spoke to you about something in your life that you need to change or take care of. Confess that and just say, Lord, this is it. I'm going to, what do you want me, how do you want me to do it? I'm going to do it. Maybe for some of us, you've got a deep need. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's for somebody else. Begin to pray that. Maybe for some of us, we just need the silence to have God speak to us. Train our ear. Tune our heart toward heaven. So let's just take a moment in the silence and the stillness of this moment to do that. As I'm praying, there's some, somebody or somebody's here that one of the first words that came to your mind as, I, as the silence came was doubt. And you're just doubting that God can do what he says. You're doubting that God really cares about your situation. Now, I, I, want you, I want to speak to you today because I didn't get anything like this first service, but there's a sense of doubt And God wants you to know in a good way that he's got your number. And he wants to speak faith into your situation. Just dwell on and think on those things that you're praying about. Don't doubt. Trust. So, Father, we want to come as disciples. And, Lord, we want to bring ourselves fully to you and experience, Lord, all that you have for us and bring glory to your lives. I thank you, Lord. I'm convinced that most people that are here today is because they just want to take another step with you. Let today be a part of that. So, Lord, this isn't some kind of legalistic thing that we got to do. It's because we love you that we get to do it and get to experience your life. So I pray that you would strengthen people to do this in this season ahead in Jesus' name.